Everybody, my name is James D. Fury, and this is Blackbolt. We live in a polarized world, and if you ask one side what the biggest problem that is facing society, they will point their finger squarely at the other side, and vice versa. Um, for people like myself who sort of float around the middle, I call myself a moderate. I don't really have political affiliations. I I know I don't have any ideologies. I can. Point my fingers to both sides and say, "I think you guys are both kind of like cousins." The left and the right have very different ways of expressing their violent selves. They have very different political beliefs that motivate them. And we are here today to speak to a couple of individuals who say that they have sort of seen the light in a sense and have decided that、um, that sort of fringe extreme. Viewpoint is not their own, and we're going to have him on soon. But first, I'd like to bring on my next guest. He is a counterterrorism expert and a professor at Seneca College. He is also a person who has a history of not just tackling and thwarting terrorist attacks, but he also has a brief history of being an extremist himself. And his name is Mushayi. Mushayi, how are you, buddy? How you doing, man? Good. Um. What is it like for somebody to wake up one day with ironclad beliefs in、uh, in like some sort of political or religious extremism, and then wake up the next day and think to themselves, "I got to stop doing this." Like, what what does it take normally for someone to get to that point? Yeah, good question. You know, of course,、uh, nobody has an overnight change per se. I mean, just like a person doesn't get into an extremist movement or extremist ideology. Overnight, it's usually a collection of things that have brought that person to a particular place in their life where they become to, or come to a place where they're more receptive to these sorts of ideas. Everyone, you know, a person can go through, do a kind of, uh, uh, you know, a, a, an autopsy, if you will, of the of the history in life. How you know were they born with certain conditions? What were the physical environment in which they grew up? How was their parenting?、Um, you know, the parents' influence on them. Were there other things? So we look at all those things that impact a person and bring them to a point where they then go into an extremist mindset. The same thing is in reverse.、Uh, it's it's a it's a lesser time that it takes, or it takes lesser time for a person to get out of a movement that, than it does to get into a movement.、Um, and usually, again, it's a collection of things, right? They're just a number of things could be you know happening for that particular person. It could be a personal. Individual psychological thing. It could be something that's、um, you know、uh, impacted by society or how you know society views them. So they might be you know aware and attuned to how others in society might view them. Things can just change in their life. You know, there are guys that I know who are、uh, former neo Nazis.、Um, you know, his、uh, he had a kid. His daughter was born, and he realized, man, like what kind of what kind of life am I bringing my kid into? You know that for him that was the thing. So, so there are a number of things that could apply to a person depending, you know, on their、uh, particular context, and and that's gen- generally how somebody gets out. How important is the sincerity of the former radicalized individual? In other words, if they become, say,、uh, an asset or something, or you know, or if they get caught in the middle of a crime and then they're, they're like, Oh, I want to, I want to,、um, you know, change my life around. Is it difficult to sort of weed through that and figure out if persons, if a person is being sincere about their transformation? That's a very good question. I mean, you know, it, it depends again on the context. So, you know, you'll have just in regular crime, never mind hidden extremism, somebody gets caught, you know, they've never been to jail. Suddenly they're in jail. They're in jail for a while. Jail is shit. Uh, they don't like it. They don't want to be there. They want to get out as soon as possible. They realize, okay, I I fucked up. I did something wrong, and you know what? They realize, and I, I can believe that in many cases. You know, sometimes it's just that experience is overwhelming for them, and it sometimes takes 
an overwhelming experience like that for a person to then be motivated, so to speak. I mean, it's kind of coerced because you're in prison, yeah. uh, but, but that happens. People, they realize that, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. So, um, so, so that's one way to look at sincerity. Um, you know, it depends that you, you talked about becoming assets and, and, and there's another level to it, if you will, if, if you want to talk about people who, um, uh, you know, let's say undercover operations, like you, if you need to have undercover operations in extremist groups, you're not going to the Boy Scouts to recruit people to go in. You're going to recruit yeah. people that are familiar with that space and may, you know, so, so that's a different thing. They allow you, if you will, the government allows you know, a person who is extreme to then, you know, uh, con even conspire with other extremists, blah, blah, for the purposes of an investigation. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's not even disengagement, de-radicalization still, right? A person who is, you know, working as an undercover, let's say, is not necessarily de-radicalized, right? Like they could still, mm -hmm. they could still have, you know, questionable views and whatever else. And, and the government is always, you know, they'll always be watching for somebody, you know, in that, in that regard. But I saw 24, know, that was a good show. Yeah. Well, so, so, I mean, in, in the real world, in terms of people, you know, people getting out, um, people realizing that, yeah, you know what, like, where's my life going with this? What future am I putting forward for myself, potentially my children, you know, getting married, who's going to want to marry you if you're known or you were known to be like this. So there are many, many issues that start to become apparent to a person. Um, and a collection of those things will, then move that person out. So determining sincerity in that is there are some ways you can see, for example, you know, a person, a person doesn't just change overnight like that. So anybody that's suddenly believing everything you're saying, you know, going along with everything you're saying, the, I question that person, right? Like there has to be a back and forth process. You have to, the, you have to be challenging your views, questioning your views. Sometimes people are uncomfortable with those views being questioned and they might relapse, so to speak, and double down, uh, you know, back into their ideology. So, so working through this is that process we may call either disengagement or de-radicalization. What was your process like from having extremist beliefs or whatever you want to call it um, to, you know, obviously like you, not many people make the, the drastic 180 that you made where you now are an active counterterrorism expert, but what was the, and I know you weren't, like a terrorist terrorist, I, I, at least I don't think anyways, but you, you had extremist views. No. I heard you say on the Dean Blundell show once. And yeah. so I'm just curious what the catalyst was for change and how that process was and how long did it take? Yeah. I mean, so very quickly, my process of getting in was in, in really, it wasn't getting in, but it was being exposed to that extremist ideology. And in the summer of 95, I was in a place in Pakistan. I had a chance encounter with the Taliban while I was there. Um, uh, you know, was I, I talked to them for a better part of a day. They came by in the evening later on. Uh, we talked some more and that was all I saw of them. But I became enamored by their views and became supportive of this idea that we have Muslims have to engage in jihad. And that's the only way that Muslims will regain their identity or their honor and their dignity again. Um, so I, I kept that up until the 9-11 attacks happened. And in fact, I should say in 98, when I got married, you know, uh, my uh, intimacy needs were met. And, and I say in self-psychoanalysis that it, it did calm me down a lot, right? And I kind of was lukewarm about my membership, if you will, uh, until the 9-11 attacks happened. And that's what really made me think, you know what, like, this is not Islam. I, I can't believe in anything that, that justifies something like that. So, so I began and I undertook a study of Arabic and Islamic studies. Uh, and so I, I moved to Syria. I lived in Syria for two years. Wow, this is an Amber Alert. Um, oh, okay. So, they know what we're talking about. Look at that. No, it's well, it's my wife's phone. I put mine on airplane mode, but oh. I hope they get whatever's going on. But anyways, uh, you know, I, I went to Syria after 9-11 attacks, spent two years there studying Arabic and Islamic studies. And that's when I, when I came to realize, uh, you know, even before that two-year period was up, that, you know, wow, the, the interpretations I had were all wrong. There's so much more to this. It just really opened my eyes and, and made me kind of sit back and appreciate the world a bit more. Mm -hmm. And particularly, I mean, talking about the 180 of how I went to counterterrorism is I, I really began to understand and appreciate the rights that we have in the West, in Canada in particular. Um, and so when I came back, that's when, you know, CSIS basically recruited me to work as an undercover with them. And I was more than happy to sign on the dotted line, so to speak, because I had seen how things were outside of the country. And I realized, man, like we really do have it good here. And 
I need to make sure that, you know, that's protected. So that's, that's how I got into. So contrary to all this other nonsense that you might hear people, you know, people are funny. They, they try to, I guess they, they want to use this as, Oh, you were an extremist once upon a time. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I was, you know, for like six years. Right. And for the past 18 years, I've been doing counter extremism, counter terrorism. Um, so uh, nobody yeah, asked for six you know, years of being, uh, of having those ideas, I mean, it's it's funny because it wasn't intended for that, but I'm sure it helps you, like in in how you navigate this side of the coin now, doesn't it? Like, because you know yeah. how they think, right? Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. I mean, um, definitely not just in this space, in um, you know this uh, Khawarij, what we call Khawarij in the Islamic terminology, zealots, uh, people who come in the, in the costume of Islam, or whether they're neo Nazis or whatever, right, left. And people don't people need to hear this, that, you know, radicalization is basically you can understand radicalization as a psychological process whereby people become increasingly extreme in their views. So it's not necessarily linked to violence. Okay, it's a normal process. I I want to normalize. I want to say it's not in and of itself something negative or bad. It, in the root, the roots of this actually came from, you know, when the British monarchy was switching to the parliamentary system, right? The, the aristocratic system to the parliamentary system, that was considered a radical shift, right? From the way that things were for the longest time and where it's going to be moving to. So that's what they call, you know, radical shift. So that radicalization is this complete shift away from the way things have been for the longest time. And not to say that the way things have been for the longest time are exactly, you know, the best way, whatnot. So, you know, when we say like, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., he was radicalized, quote unquote. Gandhi was, quote unquote, mm-hmm. radicalized. But then you get one of the outputs of radicalization is extremism, where basically you believe that, you know, you know, violence in the public space, and I'm simplifying the definition here, is okay. Mm-hmm. And violent extremism is where you actually do that that violence. So, um, so my experiences, others from different movements, you know, back in 2011, uh, Google, then Google Ideas, I think now they're called Jigsaw, they had a summit against violence extremism in, in which they brought four categories of people, ultranationalists, white supremacists, Islamists, and urban street gang members, and under the, uh, the umbrella term violent extremism, and looked at the ways in which people got into it, people stayed in it, and how people got out. And surprise, surprise, the, the overlap between those processes is, is just eerie. So, yeah, I always found that people got a little bit, I mean, I understand from a legal point of view, but the definition of terrorism and, and people get all upset when uh, someone would commit a mass shooting and it wasn't called terrorism. And it's just like, what is, what, what is the big deal? He, that person that killed all those people in Las Vegas by shooting them from the hotel room. Um, why is not, being not a terrorism. mass murderer? Why is being a mass murderer somehow not as bad as being a terrorist. Like it, it's yeah. just a difference of terminology, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know why people have that. I mean, being a mass murderer is the worst thing other than, <laughs> I mean, a, you know, a, a pedophile, you know, cannibal, I guess. I mean, but mm. uh, the, 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 the thing with terrorism is that, again, it's, again, very politically loaded. It's usually related to wars that are being fought or something the government is doing or not doing that's pissing a bunch of people off. So there has to be some kind of political, religious, uh, or other mm-hmm. ideology attached to it. So, yeah, like, for example, uh, terrorism, you can have an attack that is, you know, in the popular use of the term, it is a terrorist attack. But it may not be legally a terrorist attack. So the Quebec mosque shooting, for example, it was a terrorist attack, but it's prosecuted as a mass murder, right? Uh, and And legally, it's easier to prosecute somebody on murder or attempted murder than it is to argue out, you know, ideology. And did this person actually have an ideology and thus there are a terrorist? Yeah. That, that's you a know? technicality in waiting. It's a, it's a very, yeah. well, it's, it's more than that. It's like, it's legally, it's easier for them to prosecute, you know, these offenses than a terrorism offense. So you could theoretically just say, just get rid of terrorism completely and just keep prosecuting it as murder or attempted murder. Like in, in uh, just one more thing, I think it was Edmonton, uh, ISIS guy tried to run over a bunch of people with the truck, tried to kill the cop at the end of it. He had an ISIS flag in the cab with him, like mm. the cab of the, the truck. Uh, they didn't prosecute him on terrorism. They prosecuted on five counts of attempted murder. And and that's enough. Right. Like he's going to get, you know, more Some than people you like get, the so. pennant just for the color. You know, yeah. they don't, they so don't you can still you can say that it was a terrorist attack, but it must fit the definition. Guy has to be 
threat of violence based on an ideology, change the government, blah, 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 um, or, or legally, socially acceptable use and then legal mm-hmm. use. So. Okay. Um, we're going to bring in our two guests. Before we, just before we do, though, I just wanted to ask you about working with people in order to sort of like help them out of uh, believing and, and acting on those beliefs in the world of extremism. How did you get into that? Is that sporadic for you or is that something that you do on a regular basis? Uh, I got into it, I guess, uh, helping people get out. So would have been, um, post 2010 because the, the Toronto 18 prosecution lasted until 2010 war in Syria kicked off in 2011, saw, begin to saw, see the rise of ISIS in real time. And by 2012, by 2013 and 14, I was already engaging with people on a daily basis, uh, basically talking them out or trying to dissuade them from being with ISIS or Al-Qaeda or uh, even Taliban. Um, and so I was just doing stuff on my own kind of, uh, and in some cases it was working, in other cases it wasn't working. And uh, so this is, you know, the U.S. government got in touch with me and I started working with them, uh, just assisting in, uh, you know, anti-ISIS operations, activities, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then by 20, I guess, 15, 16, you already had people who were starting to come back or had enough of what they saw in Syria. And uh, this is where the whole returning foreign fighters and de-radicalization uh, really started to take off. And so I started working with an organization called Parents for Peace, um, where I work, you know, regularly now, and we work on different kinds of cases uh, of, you know, of people who who are, who have intersected with extremism. But in many of our cases, like the FBI has visited the homes of these people uh, and have decided not to charge them. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, somebody who has been charged and is currently in detention awaiting sentencing uh, and so we will, you know, through the lawyer do, uh, via WebEx, uh, you know, tr- sessions with them like once a week or whatever it is. So we have a bunch of cases that we do from across the spectrum, uh, left and right and jihadist. I don't know where that fits, does fit on the right, uh, end of the spectrum, but we, we cover all, um, you know, all ideologies. Okay. Um, on that note, I think we're going to bring in our two guests now. Uh, Brian Trache, you are a person who has been largely identified with hanging with extremists on the right. And Ala Sufi, is that the correct pronunciation? Yes. Okay. You have been uh, associated with uh, extremists on the left. Brian, I want to start with you because from what I understand, Mubin and you are sort of working together to, to sort of help you through this process. Uh, you changed something to your mic, Brian. I can't hear you. Hi, sorry about that. Uh, Yes, uh, Mubin and I are working together. Uh, Mubin and I have a a rather interesting history um, that that goes back to when I was uh, working uh, with uh, an extremist group and I ran the security for for an event that Mubin took issue with um, and had uh, went online saying he was going to infiltrate and uh, we caught him and uh, we, we caught Mubin trying to sneak in. And so uh, we, we had some banter for, for about two days. I feel days. like he let you catch him. I don't know why. I just feel like that. <laughs> uh, he was a gentleman. He, yeah. he was a real gentleman. And and so was was our guy who caught him as well. But uh, I, I did have uh, some sort of rapport with Mubin. And when I decided to leave, I he was the one I called. Okay. I, I, let, let's start a little bit earlier than that, though. I'm trying to figure out if you were, were you like a bad seed that fell into a crowd that was just as bad as you? Were you influenced by a bad crowd? I know, I'm, I'm told you have a criminal record, um, you know, and, and, and it stretches back to well before you knew Jeremy McKenzie or Diagon or any of those guys. So give me an idea of your bio. Like what, what were the ingredients that sort of led you to Diagon, for example? Um, so my bio, I guess, would uh, would start when I was a child. Um, I was a, a very intelligent kid. Uh, the school system couldn't find a place for me. Um, they ended up putting me in gifted classes, and uh, that that was a whole other issue and problem. Um, but I was bullied terribly uh, to the point of, of being suicidal at 12. Um, I joined the army. I'm from a military family. Um, I got big, I got tough. 
I, uh, I had decided to become a bully slayer and, uh, and devote my life to that. And, uh, and sorry, to, a bully slayer, a, a, a bully slayer. Yeah. Oh, like you beat up the bullies. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know it was so, called the slayer. I didn't know it was a term for that. That's an interesting term. Well, well, I made it up, so okay. you're not expected <laughs> to, but, um, yeah. And, uh, so I, I guess in, in extremism circles, you could call me a true believer. I, uh, I was radicalized to the left first, um, and I fulfilled roles of, of being a goon in that milieu. Um, for, for a year, I studied Islam in mosque, um, and, and none of those really worked out, uh, the Islamic thing just because of faith issues. And, uh, but, uh, but the left, I, I, I watched the left go from the labor left to, uh, to the identity politics left. And I, I watched some really good people get really shafted by this new brand of leftists. And I, I saw what they were and it motivated me to get out of the left. Um, that, that was around like 2000, 2001. Hmm. Um, and uh, after that, I lived a relatively normal life. I, uh, in, until things, societal trends started going so far left that I saw these people that I had a lot of disdain for through my experience uh, gaining currency, gaining social currency. And then they were the bullies that I felt I needed to slay. I should say that uh, I've very rarely in my long experience in extremism come across anyone who uh, who goes into extremism um, from a position of hate or, or violence. Everybody thinks they're doing the right thing. Sorry, my dog's on screen here. Um, yeah, yeah, everybody thinks they're doing... The, the better thing, right? You know, for me, uh, the thing that got me into right-wing extremism and noticed by the by groups on the right where I very quickly ascended was uh, the, uh, the compelled speech bill around trans people that uh, Jordan Peterson had his, his rally about. And I watched how the left behaved there and... Uh, and my ex-wife, my wife at the time, was assaulted by a by an antifa leftist and was charged. And all of a sudden, we were thrust um, in, into being the uh, Canada's worst neo Nazis. Of course, my yeah. my wife at the time was Jewish. <laughs> you know, her, her her kid was Jewish. But uh, what if you end up hating your wife? That point just goes away. You know. And, and I'm a Métis man, and and both my children are Métis on both sides. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's okay. a very over oversimplified uh, solution for the leftists to call someone a white supremacist. I, I see very little of that. Okay, I, I just want to run down a couple of things here, uh, and Allah, I promise we'll get to you in a second. Um, did you ever swat a person? No, never. Thomas Zog, no. Uh, no, I, I did uh, speak to the police when I thought Zog was uh, was a danger to people. Zog was on a, a five-day, 24-hour binge on the internet, uh, becoming more and more extreme. He was, he was exhibiting weapons and stuff, and I, 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 did, uh, I did speak to the police about that. The one thing that came up with you a few times um, was that, that you uh, – I don't know if it was the uh, the, the the far left when you were uh, part of the right wing extremist groups or whatever, um, and also people within your sort of social circle. Have you been accused several times since like 2010 of being kind of like a, a an informant, an undercover informant at places like the G20 and things like that? I have, yeah. Uh, so, but before this started, uh, we would we would report um, the the group that I was involved with. Uh, which was not an extremist right-wing group, despite what uh, what the left might say. We uh, we informed the police a number of times about uh, people who were dangerous on both the extreme right and the extreme left. Okay. I, I felt it was my, my civic duty to do so. 
okay. I wouldn't have done so. We wouldn't have done so had they not, had we not been privy to uh, some pretty serious stuff that they were talking about in back channels and such. Okay, um, we'll get back to that because uh, I don't want to. I don't want to spend too much time sort of like looking over your, uh, you know, your 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 spotted history or whatever you want to call it. So, Al, I want to talk to you because yours is a little bit different. Um, you were part of at least the social circles of these of people who were on the far left. Um, I don't know what groups they were. We talked before, but I was a little confused as to what groups they might have been. So we'll just leave the groups out of it. But just that sort of like radical thinking or far left thinking. But it wasn't the actual political beliefs that that drove you out. What was it? Uh, You had personal situations with uh, with friends, and when it came to a head, what happened? Um, accusations were thrown, um, unfounded accusations. But I, and like I just felt like there is a sort of fear to even question certain things. You know, like you just. Sorry, it's just, it's okay. just a bit fresh for me still. Uh, okay, so you were, I'm just going to say it, okay? they Someone accused you of being a pedophile. And the reason why I'm saying that so kind of like willy-nilly is because that is now the hallmark of uh, extremists on both sides. As soon as something happens and they decide that a person is persona non grata, out comes the pedophile uh, accusations. It's got to be one of the most heinous things a person could be accused of, especially obviously with no evidence. And that is really the thing that made you just be like, well, fuck this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to hang with these people anymore. That's basically it. Right. Like Brian said, I saw them for what they are. Okay. And I, and like, and so, and it's not like I, it's not like I realized that's not me. It was never me. I just finally saw them. Mm -hmm. And were, 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 are you still sort of supportive of those beliefs, though? Not, you know, I mean, obviously the way that it ended is, is awful and they shouldn't have done that. But I'm just curious as to what your beliefs are just as an individual and whether or not they still sort of gravitate towards that extremist side of the left. No, no, no. When I say, like, I don't even, hmm, like, I still, like, I never considered myself an extremist. Like, I don't like, um violence and like how can I say like the part of me that wanted like in Brian's case the part of me that wanted to not make judgments to just take a um, balanced approach let him let like let that's him sort of speak. like how Brian right now is trying not to judge you for the pronouns you've listed <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I only noticed now yeah <laughs> Come on, Ella. But like that's who I like. That's who I always was. Like I, mm. like to me, whatever I did felt like sort of self-defense. But I don't cling to any of those things. Like when I heard Brian is having a change of heart, I was willing to believe that. Was willing to find out, not to like cling to any notions I had. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback.
Um, Mubin, when you listen to Brian and Alice speak, do you is there a, a a party that recognizes the cadence and tone and how they're speaking as like you know where you can sort of tell that they they've been on a journey and they'd like to get off the fucking ride now, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't uh, rush the process. I don't. I have learned to really back away from preconceived notions that I may have had about what the process could look like. I recognize that what is true for me is many times not true for somebody else. And, uh, you know, in the beginning when uh, I think on Twitter, uh, I'm, I'm taking a break from Twitter, thank God. But uh, on Twitter, when I, I think we, uh, Brian kind of put his story out and my God, I was deluged is the word deluged by people who I had no, no issues with previously, but suddenly they decided that I was, persona non grata because I had given Brian this chance and it's like like I really don't care what people think and like you know their opinions because I know this space I've you know I've kind of explained I've been working this space inside and out for many years now I've dealt with many types of people and um, I was just kind of taken aback that that's a weird thing to get mad at you for because yeah that's that's what I thought I was like really like this is what you're gonna much rather Brian just stay a Nazi god damn it I know anyways yeah it was just but it was it was a lesson to me also that uh, about judging people and their processes and their journeys is that you really have to let that process you know take it run its course so to speak so when you hear both Mm -hmm. of them uh, speak, you know, they're at different stages in their journey. They're learning certain things and they're able to process and make sense of those things now. And tomorrow is going to be something else. Right. And I don't know what tomorrow, tomorrow is going to be next month, next six months, next year, right. Next five years, right. Like we, they're going to remember these conversations five, 10 years from now. Right. And who knows where they'll be at. So, so when I do, when I, when I hear that there is this uh, you know, like I said, journey, journey of awareness of self and also of the group, then you know that you're headed in the right direction. Yeah. Um, like something for me, I um, experienced with uh, like about Brian and even before him, uh, there's someone called Josh Chernovsky. Uh, a lot of people wanted me to like, because I was talking to them, wanted me to dictate their journey what it should look like and that is something i refuse to do like it should come from him i like all i wanted to know is whether he is serious about change but what that change looks like comes from him not from me or from anyone else yeah i mean i feel like time is really the best arbiter of that but um you know uh, brian let me ask you something is there a make amends phase in your transformation. Um, when I ask that, uh, you know, I don't know what is true and what isn't sometimes when it comes to what people tell me about yourself or other uh, people who are alleged to be extremists. Um, but I, I hear things like death threats and he, you know, he swatted a person. I, I heard he slept with Jeremy McKenzie's wife or girlfriend or something like that, or the, you know, like all of these things, not really. And so I'm trying to figure out though, the ones that are true, like the, the things that you've done that you know were like that, I shouldn't have fucking done that. Is there like an alcoholic kind of idea, like the twelve step idea, where you you're, where you make amends with people that you've completely hurt? And have you done any of that yet? Well, there is, um, and I am an alcoholic, um, oh. and, and have been for quite a long time. Um, yeah, there there is. Um, Allah was the first. Well, the second person. I, I won't name the first uh, because he's getting a lot of flack off the left lately. Um, but Allah was the first person Respectfully, who... Uh, that could be anyone. Just just saying. Uh, <laughs> Someone's yeah, getting a lot yeah. of flack from the left? No, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mean, it's some, it, it's someone you know. But um, Allah was the first who reached out. And um, Allah's... The situation with Allah and I was different because I targeted Allah because of something he did that he took part in uh, that had nothing to do with me personally. What a lot was of that? the uh, Allah was involved in um, in uh, an event at Mohawk College where there was uh, an elderly woman who was screamed abuse at. And I really took offense to that um, because I felt that she was an elderly lady and uh, shouldn't have been subjected to that. 
So, so I targeted Allah. Uh, most of the people that I did target and dox um, are absolute scumbags of the left. And a lot of them, I don't feel bad about targeting. Allah, I did. And Allah was brave enough to reach out to me when I posted my, my, my recanting thread um, and, uh, and was willing to meet up. And the, the meeting was fraught with fear, I think, on both sides. Uh, I went to Montreal to meet Allah. And uh, Montreal Antifa are not the, uh, the Toronto mouthpieces. They've stabbed and otherwise uh, greatly harmed people I know. So I thought I might be being set up by Allah when I met, went to meet him. I'm sure Allah probably felt the same way about me, given the way that we'd both been talked about, because everyone's an expert on Brian and Allah, who have never met us. Um, and and it, it was it was just uh, it was it was wonderful to meet the guy and go and sit and have a pint and uh, and talk about what brought us into this how we how we look to get out how we how we can regain our humanity because that's what's lost in extremism is your capacity for to see the humanity in others yeah, um, that reminds me sorry it, it, it was uh it, it was greatly um therapeutic for me i i can't speak for a lot but it was for me too yeah um it reminds me of daryl davis the way that you guys just spoke about meeting and 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 kind of like meeting face to face rather than just being keyboard warriors or whatever. Uh, if, for those who don't remember, Daryl Davis is the black gentleman who became um, friends with like a hundred or at least friends. He he pulled out about a hundred Klansmen out of the KKK by having yeah. a face face to face relationships with them. And for a lot of these Klansmen, they, it, it was like the first black dude they had ever even spoken to in their lives. And, and you know, a lot of them feel profound shame about that now. Um, <clears throat> when you talk, Brian, sometimes, even when I was talking to you on the phone and, and a little bit tonight, there's se- not a defensiveness, but, you know, like you were like, you know, some of these Antifa people, you know, are kind of pieces of shit. I'm not, I'm not upset that I dox them. Is there a hypocrisy level that you have to sort of try to get over where it's like your actions may be the exact same as the other guys, but because you feel like your viewpoint is more righteous that you're fine with it. Oh, definitely. There's that. Um, and I have to work through that every day. Um, again, on the defensiveness, I would say that I was targeted by them. I never went and sought them out. Um, so I uh, take it as you will. Well, like these were retali- retaliatory doxings? Is that they were absolutely okay. yeah. Uh which is what makes Allah different. Um I I didn't like what Allah did politically, so I targeted Allah and his family's business and rebroadcast a lot of a lot of stuff that was being said about him. And uh that's to my great shame. I, I'm sorry I did that Allah. Thank you. What kind of impact did it have on your family? A lot. Uh, I, I shaved my hair because I didn't want to be recognized. Like it's almost back to the lengths it was. During- Sorry, I'm only laughing because I can't grow my hair. Everyone else <laughs> recognizes me. <laughs> uh, and yeah, like, I don't know if you noticed, I do get this tick sometimes. Just from all that, I guess, anxiety and stress, like three years on, I still, like it did. Um, but like, was there any did, like in, in person blowback or was it pretty much all digital? Uh, no, no. Like, thankfully there was never anything in person. It was just like, but yeah, like you hear enough threats, you just think one of them or two of them have to be like legitimate. So you just, yeah, you do things like you shave your head to like not get recognized. (sighs) But like, yes, it had like a big effect, but like trauma is meant to be faced and healed from not like clung to and avoided and that is one of the reasons i wanted to meet brian to like not keep holding that in to just 
let it go. <laughs> and what did, what did you guys, did you guys go karaoke? Did you guys go have coffee? Like, what did you guys do? Uh, we walked around for a bit, then sat at a, like, in a patio on the street. And yeah, like, just had a pint and talked for a couple of hours, I believe. And yeah, it was pretty good. It was... I wasn't expecting that. Um, I, I knew that you guys sort of knew each other. I knew that there was some static a while back. I didn't know you guys met. Mubin, when you listen to this, these two guys from totally different worlds, both be on the same page about how important it was to meet and to get to know each other each other in the flesh. Um, how does that make you feel as a person that does what you do for a living? Mm-hmm. Yeah, here. I mean, this is. Uh, I'm taking notes. You know, I'm. I'm learning myself that uh, these are the sorts of things, and we 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 know it in theory, and I've seen it in practice elsewhere. Um, but you know, to see it in practice again before your eyes, it just validates um, the knowledge you know that we have. Like those of us that do this work, like we understand that. Yeah, this is this is exactly what we want to see on those journeys. Right? Somebody being brutally self-aware of their situation of what they've, you know, what they've done, what they've gone through, apologizing for it. I mean, I don't think anybody would have expected to hear Brian talk the way that he's talking, um, you know, and, and even for Allah, like he, like he mentions, you know, it was my wife's phone is going off and I want to turn my camera off and go there and throw it off the balcony, but I won't. Um, no, the, you know, it's, it's very important for somebody like Allah to, like he said at the end, they're very, very important point about not clinging to trauma, right? And freeing oneself from that. And the only way you can do that is really, especially for people, uh, like you're talking about Daryl Davis, who I know very well, he was, you know, helping out parents for peace for a while. Uh, it's exactly what you need to do. People just, at the end of the day, need to realize, like, when you actually sit with someone, Walter, you're dealing, with, you're dealing with another human being, right? Who's probably going through their own shit, just like you're going through your shit. And now you can both deal, you know, go through each other's <coughs> shit, you know, while you're sitting at a table. Too often yeah. people are online, they get, you know, it, uh, the online activity is creating this um, melancholy uh, attitude that people have. It's just, you know, shoveling people into this little box, digital boxes. And, and that's where everyone can be extreme and say this and say that and be angry and this and that. And that's just not conducive to, I think, spiritual health, mental health, psychological health. And aren't we forgetting the real victim here? Moderates, who you guys used to beat me up on the regular. <laughs> I used to always tell my editor, it's like on Tuesday, I got it from the right. On Thursday, I got yeah, it from the yeah. left. I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed well, to do? Well, that's how you know you're you're in the center, right? Because <laughs> you're getting it. Your yeah. shit's coming from both sides. Yeah, you or know, as they so. like to call me, a fence sitter. What was the? Well, terms, you know what? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's all these terms. There are all these labels. This, that. Like everyone feels the need to belong to some category and some group and some whatever. And it's just you free yourself from that. Free yourself from those shackles, and yeah. and just you know take the take it from whatever side it comes from, and just and just revel in the fact that you walk the middle way. Yeah, Brian, how did you get involved with Diagonal? Um. So. I um like I said, uh, this all started with the uh, the initial the initial Jordan Peterson rally, um, and uh, I was noticed by a, a I'd call them a civic nationalist group. Uh, they weren't racist. They weren't very far right either. Um, but I did rise very rapidly through it because it was run by veterans. Uh, I know how that world works. That's my world that I was raised in and, and worked in and everything. Um, and uh, we were being targeted by the left. We were being targeted by Antifa all the time. As, as I said, especially uh, this was a Quebec-centric group. And uh, people were being stabbed by these guys. And I found, sorry, I'm trying to get rid of my dog here. Um, Walter... Go away. It's, it's okay. Let the dog do whatever he wants. It's fine. Yeah, so uh, so I, I found that I was good at finding them, right? I, I was good at finding them and exposing them. And uh, it, it started with just exposing them to to liability legally for, for libel and whatever they were doing. Um, and I was picked up by Diagonal, a, a friend of mine who knew what I was up to, was part of, was a leader in that. 
and uh, they recruited me to do their intelligence. And, they and called it intelligence? In, intelligence and their operational security and finding threats and moles and outing their enemies and Sometimes finding out like where people live. Uh, just basic open source intelligence. I mean, it sounds militaristic, but it, it is extremely militaristic. That's but the guys exactly that you see that are part of Diagon don't seem to be all that sophisticated. You know, like they like it, like it, like I would hazard a guess that a lot of them don't have the follow through to be really like effective at being whatever a Diagon soldier is. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be accurate. the The problem being with as with any stochastic terrorism. There's always a friendly sausage maker somewhere in the wings. What does that mean? I, I don't know what scatastic means, whatever that word was. And then the okay, sausage making like, analogy just totally went over my head. I okay. <laughs> stochastic terrorism being uh, like irony poisoning and uh, and baiting people against the other side, hoping that someone somewhere will do something. The friendly sausage maker yes. is what what Corey Hearn, who drove to uh, Rideau Park with the truck full of guns and crashed through the gate, he was referred to as a friendly sausage maker. So what influenced him to do that? Because I, I might be missing a key point that you're making. I'm just trying to figure out what, what prompted him to... Uh, why is he a friendly sausage maker? Because he... He made sausage. He, he was a butcher. He, he, he was just a, a regular butcher from, I think, Saskatchewan or Alberta. And he decided he had heard enough about Trudeau on the news and through all our different social media channels that he would drive across country with a truck full of guns and crash through the gates and have a talk with Trudeau. And so was so, that like, were people trying to egg him on to do something? Or is he like a lone wolf moving where he's just influenced by media and digital, whatever, and he just did what he did? Yeah, it's it's the same. It's the it's the whole point about stochastic terrorism is that the irony poisoning is done by the main speakers, the ideologues, the popular members, <laughs> with the with the knowledge that some random dude is actually going to get up and do something. And so this Corey Hearn was that random dude, and he like you know they they called him a, the media reports were that he was a friendly sausage maker. You yeah, know, when you so, said that, Brian, I thought you were yeah. talking metaphorically. There's always some guy that makes this friendly sausage maker, but you got to look at no, no, those guys. I, I'm just like, I have no idea. For, for the record, I'm not advocating anyone make sausage of any politicians, <laughs> metaphorically or literally. The, the media? No, need to clear that Don't answer up. that. Don't answer that. Mm. <clears throat> um, okay. How do we know if you're being sincere, Brian? Like, how do we know that these beliefs I that guess you, you have... don't, James. I, right. I, I, I guess no one ever will. But I, I think people with goodwill will extend at least a, at least a feeler out, like, like Allah did. Um, our meeting could have went either way. Allah's when meeting was that meeting? Mine. What, a month ago, Allah? More than... Okay. I think closer to two. Okay. Um, and, and a, a lot of his, his point was, I want to look in your eyes and hear your voice. And if I believe you, I believe you. And he may not have. And that would have been fine, too. We both would have made the effort. And that would be something as well. Um, but people have to extend themselves on both sides, on every side, is, especially, as you said, uh, the, the moderate, the moderate majority what we'd call normies in our world um, have to extend themselves. Normies. <laughs> um, we try to extend ourselves and we get hit by both sides. Then we try to ignore both sides and both sides get bigger or at least louder. Um, it's kind of an impossible situation for people in the middle. And what ends up happening is that people on the, uh, the left, key messages on the left get absorbed by normies as if they're mainstream. There's a whole yeah. bunch of stuff that, that the left has brought into the lexicon of mainstream society that a lot of people think is bad shit, but it's just, it's the domain of the left now. Um, or sorry, it's the domain of mainstream now because the, the well, it's really the ongoing fear of optics that corporations and media outlets and, and famous people and everyone has. Um, I used to get, I still do. I, I Whenever I post something that's a little bit 
whatever, like that takes a run at both sides or, or one side, I'll get messages from people that are like, I just want to let you know that I agree with you. But if I say so publicly, I'll get fired from my job. I get it every day. I, I, I've yeah. had, I've had 30 of those messages in the lead up to our conversation tonight. But, but some of the things are so innocuous. Some of the things are like, I like black lives matter as like a, as like a, a you know, a phrase, but I don't think I really like the political organization that much. And people are afraid to say that even out loud. And that's weird world that we live in because I'm not a libertarian, so I don't join or support libertarian groups. So why would I support or join a Marxist group? Like it doesn't. And even when you say that, people are like, why are you pointing out their Marxism? It's just like, yeah. That's what they say they are. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to yeah. tell you. Um, Ala, you still, um, I asked you this. I don't, I don't know if I appreciated the answer or if I remember the answer, but are you, um, have you just removed your belief system from that Antifa kind of world or no? Um, no, my belief system is still pretty much intact. For me, it's a lot more I'm disillusioned with the community. Right. Like the community around them is problematic, but not the beliefs them, themselves. It's interesting. You guys are perfect representations almost of like the sides that you kind of rep because um, a lot of lefties are, are, are similar to you, Ala. They're like, well, the beliefs that I have are still great. I just don't like the people that um, speak about them loudly. And then Brian, yourself, it would be really impossible for you to have that position because that would be racism and anti-Semitic behavior and all this kind of stuff that would fall down on, on, on the far right. Like you would have to disavow the beliefs on the far right. Whereas on the far left, even though I disagree, I think you probably, I, I think there's a ton of stuff uh, on the far left, especially Antifa that I would strongly disagree with, but you don't seem to have that issue. Ella. So I'm just curious. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, like Antifa, like the meaning of the word is, anti-fascism so like it's as an idea it's not something you should be against um but yeah. like i think the problem is it like a lot of these ideas are good on paper but just on like practically they fall short you know like the idea of anti-fascism is to just be against hatred and intolerance but what i kind of feel is they just have their own version that they justify like and yeah like i said like i did not want to cling to anger and hatred and i didn't do that with brian you know but a lot of people were against me talking to him because they do actually want to cling to their fear and anger. They don't actually, like, they talk a big game, but they never, but they don't really live up to what they preach. I yeah, think. they're like van political vandals, I used to call them, right? Like, um, you know, they, yeah, like they get giddy for almost being mischievous. You know, like it's it's it, it's it's a game to a lot of the to a lot of those people. So I I, I do understand that. Like I was, I actually described it today to Brian as they they dangle a carrot in front of you that they have no intention of giving to you. I do um, that to my kids. <laughs> except it's like a chocolate. <laughs> yeah, like right <laughs> like. The whole idea is that we're against your behavior, not your skin color or gender expression. And if you just like hold yourself accountable and grow always forgiven, that's the idea, but they don't really allow that to happen. Mubin, how long would it take for you to deprogram Allah into thinking that Antifa was a shitty organization? No, we, we, yeah. yeah, we don't do timings like that. Yeah. But, uh, but can I just you asked an interesting question to both of them about mm. you know where they how they like what are the, what's the status of your views and your ideas and and this is the thing when a person when you go through this almost enlightenment period where you start to see whether it's the you know aspects of the ideology itself or if it's the aspects of the grouping to which 
you belong or that ideology is represented. And this disillusionment is actually a very big, you know, factor in somebody kind of shifting, um, not necessarily ideologies, but just shifting the way in which they perceive how those ideas need to be put into practice, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times things come down to tactics, right? Like what do you, so for example, uh, you know, in Sweden, uh, you had a bunch of, you know, Somali kids who wanted to go join ISIS or the Al-Shabaab. And, uh, you know, their thing was the, I guess the government's program there that they had was, look, you can, you can be Al-Shabaab, you can, you know, call, say, yeah, 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 Al-Shabaab, rah, rah, rah. You just can't do Al-Shabaab. So that's an example of somebody like you can have this very extreme ideology and believe that, you know, everybody is bad, everyone's going to hell, blah, blah, blah. But you're not going to do anything about it, right? You're not going to go and burn down this place or bomb that place or assassinate that person, right? So, so that shift away from, you know, the utility of tactics and what works and from any ideology is is a very important aspect of somebody's journey you know out of more extreme elements of the ideology yeah it's interesting it's it's um i remember reading about after world war ii they did the nuremberg trials but then all the nazis that gave up the most robust and um you know plentiful whatever information to the americans were treated nicely you know and a lot of them apparently broke down into tears after months and months of like sharing what they could and being treated like a human being. And they literally lost their shit and just bawled and sobbed because they realized, Oh my God, I was part of something that was truly evil. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously I'm not calling either of you guys Nazis, Brian, I may have a year ago, um, <laughs> you know, but you know, it, it does have that feel to it. Like where, you know, like Brian, yeah. I, I, I'm just, what was the last time that you feel like you did something that was the old you, and what was it? Hmm. Interesting question. I've uh, I've not done anything for a long time, for like since January, anyways. Um, when you said long time, I thought you were going to be like 2016, 2017. No, like no, no. Yeah. Since January, which is a long time for me within my my own little extremism time frame here. What was that? Uh, what did you do in January? I outed somebody. Um, so it, for me now, it's, it's more about, uh, as Mubin was saying, it's about not doing things. I, I'm aware of... Um, of a lot of people who are after Karima, for example, now in their names and their addresses, I'm not going to out them. Things will work out how they work out with her case and, and whatever. Um, I would have been all over it a year ago. I would have wanted them to live in the fear that they made everyone else live in. Now I focus on myself, on improving myself. Um, I don't need to be the the main warrior in the fight anymore were you able to salvage relationships with your daughters uh well my relationship with my elder daughter is very good okay uh my relationship with my younger one has been pretty much non-existent for about a year her mother is a, a radical communist she's a professor of marxist studies um uh so we had a counter radicalization fight uh, with my daughter, both of us trying to brainwash her. She didn't take very kindly to it on either end. Uh, that's still, yeah. that, that's still to be resolved. I hope oh, it will. Be. I, uh, I would just like to say about that, that, um, this really is me and I feel she should give you a shot and because you are genuine and she should, yeah, she should hear you out. Okay, um, we're gonna wrap up soon. I, I, I got that was great actually, Allah. That's um, I, it's weird for me to see that. Um, <clears throat> I'm only used to seeing the left, the far left, and far right people just try to throttle each other online. So th- this is pr- maybe not a first, but it feels like the, a first for me, at least the first on my show uh, to listen to you guys talk like that. Um, Brian, I got a lot of emails when I said that I was inviting you on, and and a lot of it was like, "Don't believe a word he says," and this, that, and the other thing. Um, I, you know, 
I'm a person that that tries to take everyone at their word, and the only reason that I'm uh, I'm not I'm not disbelieving you. I, I think I'm agnostic as of right now, and I don't think you should take that in a bad way. That could have to do with the fact that I'm not very informed as to what you know uh, what you're going through now, what you've done, you know. But you know, is it how invaluable is it to have this relationship with Mubin? Uh, it's it's. It's a very valuable relationship. He's a sounding board. Uh, he understands uh, with, without working within the same extremist framework, uh, he understands the, the ideas, um, the temptations that come with being attacked constantly after you're trying to extricate yourself, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is invaluable. Um, yeah, Mubin's my rock in this and Parents for Peace. I've, I've got to give them a shout out. They've, uh, they've probably saved what's rest, what's left of my life. Mubin? I, I paid him to say all of that. So thank you for, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've done the transfer. Yeah, yeah look, I'm, I'm glad you had this conversation. We, we had this conversation. I know, um, you know, everybody has, I'm sure you, i I'm hundred percent. I can imagine the messages you received and uh, all the things about, you know, some of us, all of us, whatever, but look at the end of the day, you realize, right. I mean, there's a lot of noise online and that's what I, even for me, even now I'm still going through things myself, right? Like I, you know, I wanted to get off social media because like I, you know, no relation to Allah, but I follow the Sufi path, like real Sufi way. And I don't, you know, I don't like the fact that I felt like I need to respond to things and talk about things. I said to myself, like, who am I that I should be like this? And, and like, it, let me prove to myself, I'm going to just get off of social media and see how it affects me. And am I thinking about it all the time? Am I, so this kind of healthy relationship stuff, like this is unrelated to the countering extremism stuff, but it just shows you that we as individuals, we just need to be aware of our situation, where we are, how much are we clinging to those traumas, those ideologies and whatever else. And break, break that cycle, man. Get out, meet people, have a pint if that's what it takes. So. Yeah. Um, Mubin Shaikh, Brian Trache, Ala Sufi, thank you guys for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. Welcome. See you guys. Good day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I had no idea how that was going to go. I think it went well. I'm sure I'm going to get people that are, let's say I hit um, at least Brian with, with kid gloves. I don't think I did. I'm just not very Geraldo about the way I ask questions, but you know, I I don't know how, how mean I have to be when I ask someone, when I ask someone, you know, what's the last shitty thing you did, you know, like that's, that's uh, one of the interesting aspects about all this is, is trying to sort of navigate the waters of, and whether or not the people that I just had on my show, um, I know Mubin is, is, you know, he's rock solid. I, I get that. But, but as far as Allah and, uh, and Brian go, I don't know. Like it's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to interpret someone in a transformational phase and then lock down on their sincerity. And, you know, maybe that's not really my job. I don't know. Um, it will be interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, I avoided the Jeremy McKenzie topic as much as possible, just because I know that uh, a case is happening and the involvement of Brian in that case, just it, it wasn't good for anyone to just sit to even nibble around the edges. Um, but uh, I, I think that was a productive conversation. I, I'd like to hear from you guys. Uh, you know, let me know what you think. Give me an email, send me a Twitter DM or whatever. Um, yeah. That was that was interesting. Uh, on Friday, I have you two super fan and teacher Mark Baker on the show, and David Wallace will be here tomorrow with a special guest. Who I'm only teasing you about this special guest because we haven't actually confirmed him yet, and I don't want to count my chickens. But if we land him, that'll be probably newsworthy. Um, yeah. Because I said that aloud, the universe, whatever the fuck that is, will probably take that guest away. And that's how it goes. Okay. Um, but until then, we will see you next time on Blackball. Blackball. Black, 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 black,
do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.